Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily. This is, uh, you know what, I just messed up. <laughs> this is season three, episode 49 for February 18th, 2024. Today we're going to be talking about laying bricks, bone bandage, D&D live stage show, AI clones, AI attending work meetings, meaty rice, mini nukes, ocean biodiversity, tiny homes, and space junk in inspector and in inspector gadget, space junk inspector gadget. Hello everybody, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com and up there is the sentient AI that's sniffling and wiggling their fingers even though they're just an artificial intelligence from the future found on a USB drive. Well, a futuristic USB drive. You wanna say hi? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, hometown citizens. Hey, Welcome a, to Hometown Daily. You got a new visualizer, look at that. I know, pretty snazzy. Yep. All dressed up. Hey, we've already got all 10 of these articles all set up. Let's knock them down. Uh, the first article for today is over in Late Night Geeks. A Dutch startup, Monumental, is using robots to lay bricks. I've actually seen something similar to this. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I have not. Few categories are as ripe for automation fuel disruption as construction. <laughs> I have a hard time with this because construction doesn't really seem like an automation fuel or a capable domain as automation. Um, because of the amount of um, like uh, quality assurance. Well, that built around human, the fidelity of humans is greater than that for robots in terms of construction and i'll put it to you this way when a wall goes up in a house let's say you want it automated and a wall goes up there's all kinds of things that can go wrong with it making a wall not end up true and things being kinked and uh modifications needing to be made for instance i don't know you buy a house and it's custom built and for some reason the person that's running the air conditioning throughout the uh the the building decides you know what i'm gonna stick a conduit right here in this wall where the electrician later is going to come and need to put a light switch and hence they don't because there's a conduit there and so they put it somewhere else and it might be some random dumbass place around a corner that doesn't make any sense for where that light switch should be which is within the area that the conduit is now impacting and it's all built around the fact that you can't automate construction except for the macro side of things for instance you can 3D print all of the walls, 
but running the plumbing, running the electrical, running whatever else in those walls is going to be a human construction because of the fidelity needed. So they say the industry is valued at around $2 trillion a year in the US alone. Much of that work is strenuous, repetitive, sometimes dangerous, precisely the sorts of problems robotic, uh, industrial robotics are built to solve. This is what the TechCrunch article says. Okay, Brian Heater over at TechCrunch.com put the article together and they have this picture of a monumental robot laying brick. Um, I suspect that humans, human bricklayers looking at this are going, hell no, this is not a good job. <laughs> because none of these bricks look like it's properly buttered. There's like your toast. Yeah. And that's what they do. They butter the brick and set it down in place, tamp it down so that there's no air bubbles. Everything's making solid contact. It's vertical. It's true. Um, and then you, you come along and you do certain things in between the cracks. I can't remember what it's all called. I used to noodle around with this stuff, but. Um, I'm thinking of route for tile, but I can't think of what it is. For, it's the exact it same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's the exact, not, not the stuff, uh, but the technique for sliding your trowel in this little gap between bricks, it smooths it out. It has a particular aesthetic when you're done, but what doesn't take place is you don't have these big ass gaps and stuff like that. When you do it properly, apparently this is good for this robot. I don't know. I I'm not a professional bricklayer Mason whatever you want to um, be the specialist, but our specialist, specialist, specialist. Anyway, bricklaying robots That's a aren't very exactly specialized specialist. It's a special test. Yes. Um, bricklaying robots aren't exactly an untapped market at the moment. Hadrian X is probably the best known player in the space. The U S firm specializes in building structures out of large concrete masonry block. Uh, Amsterdam-based Monumental, meanwhile, specializes in the more familiar red clay variety. The startup was founded in 2021 by a pair uh, behind data visualization firm Silk, now known as Palantir. Um, or no, I'm sorry, it isn't known as Palantir. It's now a Palantir joint. Uh, I think that turn of phrase is they're saying that it was acquired by Palantir. Anyway, Monumental has already been uh, doing limited pilots of it in its native Netherlands, including the 15 meter exterior of a of an office building. Partnerships of 25 contractors have followed, including low income housing. So um, they're talking about this Monumental, but this, I, I don't know, it makes me feel weird because this is a skilled job that if it is repetitive, I'm sure it's going to learn and be adapted further to make it as human as possible. But as I've told countless other people, if I can take your job and turn it into a series of steps, it's an equation. And if it's an equation, I can turn it into automation. I'd hate to see good enough be this. I want spectacular quality control because if something happens, 
and it's going to take a forensic analysis to look at the physics of why this wall fell over and by exactly. then and then are you going to be able to figure out was it because of the actual robot doing it or the way it was designed or any all kinds of, of stuff yeah and if it's a robot who is accountable oh the company is accountable well if the company is accountable can you put that company in jail for the liability the complete criminal failure of this because the technique was looked at by a human being and it was marked off as being meeting the spec but later on you find out that the robot did shoddy work on the back end not on the front facing because everything looks shiny i don't know it just bothers me particularly in light of the conversation that the ai and i had earlier about the fact that you can't hold businesses criminally responsible for the actions of the uh the people within it you know doing one thing or another wrong and and there's always this oh well we did it uh we were practicing our fiduciary duty and we had done our due diligence and it was all agreed upon by the plurality of people that are steering the company everybody points their finger at everybody else and the thing that the only thing that gets done is financial remuneration that's it you oh, okay here's a check for x amount of dollars but the people that enabled this to take place aren't held accountable it still bothers me um but well, i certainly there's not a lot of room for error in building construction <sighs> yeah i mean we know that buildings fail over time and most of the time it's because somebody decided to cut corners or exceed the weight limit of a building or something but it's a human that's usually doing that and then it gets held accountable later on that person but a, a robot what you put the robot in jail for their incompetence yeah i don't know but again this is automation it's coming for everybody it's coming for your job should you be afraid am i spouting fear uncertainty and doubt no not really but i'm talking about the fact that automation is certainly coming i think plumbers electricians are going to be immune to this because they have to do so much that just can't be done in automation bricklaying 3d printing buildings all of that's going to take away the the stick and nail you know timber frame stuff uh, bricklaying could be done by a bot yeah uh, and it can do it all day long it, eventually it will all once it gets long. the quality level but if it's right. not there yet maybe it shouldn't be deployed yeah yeah i agree okay let's keep going though i can just sit there and haunt this topic forever the next article is over in technology today korean scientists develop novel bone bandage material for cracked bones bone bandage they need to work on their marketing yeah i don't know it says bone regeneration is a complicated procedure and the current approaches for facilitating this generation such as graphs and the application of growth factors encounter challenges well the article is over at SciTech daily uh, the byline is the korea advanced institute of science and technology or KAIST, k-a-i-s-t 
And uh, yeah, they have this um, groundbreaking development for bone regeneration has been achieved with the creation of a piezoelectric scaffold by a cast or cased led research team utilizing hydroxyapatite to generate electrical signals under pressure. This scaffold mimics the natural environment of bone tissue, showing promising results in promoting uh, bone growth through both laboratory and animal studies. This advancement opens new pathways for biomaterial design and the understanding of bone regeneration processes. So interesting, a, a piezoelectric scaffold. So this thing is actually creating a, a, a low level electric current. Quite interesting, unless this is a different type of, no, it is, it generates electrical signals upon the application of pressure. So yeah, it actually is doing what amounts to electric uh, electrostimulation um, that is usually done with muscle tension, Muscular muscle pain. issues, yeah. yeah. Um, and more and more research into this is actually leading uh, researchers to find that electrical electrostimulation actually does quite a lot of good. People who have um, who have used electrostimulation on their heads in their basically brain electrostimulation retain information longer. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Is that like zapping your brain into uh, low level electrostimulation being smarter or being more awake or something? Essentially. Yeah, that's exactly what goes on. It's like supercharging your brain. Low level stimulation of your of your head um, leads to longer retention of information. Now, I don't know if this study has panned out in the long term, um, but the research that I've read previously has stated that this. Um, oh, and and so I've actually done this um, uh, electrostimulation for muscle pain, um, joint pain, things like that. Uh, to see its efficacy and it works um, it's quite fascinating so let's say you have muscle pain and you put these little pads on you uh, uh, electro pads or i can't remember what they're actually referred to as right now but you put these little conductive pads on and then you just push a button and it starts zapping you and you just go about your day are you talking about like tens tens is yeah i wasn't going to mention like tens itself but yes, it's a device that has electro, uh, uh, little electric cords. They connect to um, pads that have adhesive on them. They actually electrocute you, <laughs> stimulating your muscles. And so as you're going about your day, your muscles are contracting while you're walking or whatever, and the pain that you might feel goes away. Now it may return and if you keep on doing it, it may eventually be offset entirely. It's not a cure, it might return. I don't know, um, the, the full literature doesn't say that you'll get cured, um, but I find it really fascinating that now you can basically apply some pressure to your bones and because this is a piezoelectric uh, scaffold, it can stimulate your bones to grow uh, faster naturally. 
Um, so they announced on January 25th the development of a biomimetic scaffold that generates electrical signals upon the application of pressure by utilizing the unique osteogenic ability of hydro, I'm sorry, hydroxyapatite uh, or HAP. Um, the research was conducted in collaboration with a team by Professor Jang Ho Kim from the Department of Convergence Biosystems Engineering at Chanam uh, National University. Um, so where do you think the application of this is? I mean, is it, for example, if somebody has a degenerative disease or if somebody is currently using prosthetics or is this like a short term issue, um, like a bone fracture? Broken bones, essentially, or wherever uh, bone material needs to be regenerated. So if somebody has lost something in their jaw, they can stimulate this under pressure if somebody has broken an arm and uh, a cast a large cast is unfeasible then they can actually do this with this particular material um oh we just saw an article in hometown not long ago about a, a dog who regrew its jaw now oh, yeah. it makes me wonder if there was any electricity involved well hap actually comes from bones and teeth so there's the possibility. I didn't read that article and I really should have. Um, so it says, however, this research suggests a new method for utilizing the unique osteogenic abilities of HAP to develop materials that mimics the environment for bone tissue in a living body. Um, so yeah, they, they basically use this in some pressure to uh, stimulate bone regeneration in animals and people. So find it really interesting um yeah they they say we have developed an hap based piezoelectric composite material that can act like a bone bandage through its ability to accelerate bone regeneration the research not only suggests a new direction for designing biomaterials but also uh, significant in having explored the effects of piezoelectricity and surface properties on bone generation pretty neat yeah I, it looks like it actually gets directly applied which might be a little bit meh. that yes, means that they would have little, to do surgery i mean it has to be invasive right yeah well yeah. i guess it doesn't have to be but it's probably more effective if it is yeah and in the test they actually did atomic force microscopy they analyzed the electrical properties of the scaffold and evaluated the detailed surface property properties related to cell shape and cell skeletal protein formation. They also investigated the effects of piezoelectricity and surface properties on the expression of growth factors. And that piezoelectricity is basically applying pressure um, to uh, whatever it is that the HAP polymer film causing electricity when pressure is applied. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So. We'll, we'll watch this and see what can't, comes of it as time goes on. Um, but a lot of lab stuff never hits the market because, well, it's too damn expensive or too complex. It's not something that can be deployed. Or it can't make it through the regulatory process for FDA or um, corresponding agencies in other countries. Yep, yep, exactly. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Warcrafters. There's a proper official Dungeons and Dragons live stage show now. 
I just now heard about this, so I'm really curious what this article has to say. The latest peak in the cultural zeitgeist surrounding Dungeons & Dragons has come. And it's the announcement of a proper live stage show based on the game. Dungeons & Dragons The 20-Sided Tavern will debut in New York City at Stage 42 this May as the first fixed-location, multi-show official Dungeons & Dragons stage play that the author, from PC Gamer, um, has heard of, perhaps the first ever. The show looks something like a mix of live play-style D&D storytelling, improv comedy, and a bit of audience participation to round it out. This Is this basically, a little bit like a glass cannon? It's certainly sounding like it, and it even looks like it, but I don't know to what extent. Uh, Jonathan Bolding over at PCGamer.com uh, put this together, something between a, a play and interactive theater. Um, Glass Cannon, if you've never heard of it, go just do a uh, just do a Google search. Uh, you will not regret it. It's a little bit more. I I would say that it's. Uh, family friendly to a point and then they go sideways and when they do go sideways they go very sideways um, but you'll never expect it you'll just be listening and then all of a sudden they'll drop somebody will make some comment and it'll just ricochet around and get amplified more and more it's quite fun though um, as an adult so um, the show looks like something of a live play style D&D storytelling, improv comedy, a bit of audience participation. It stars three uh, fixed actors, but the show aims to include the audience as a fourth player. The audience will be able to vote using a browser-based app on decisions like what paths or approaches the stage players take. There will also be apparently on-stage mini-games such as Fantasy Beer Punk. All of this sounds like a blast if not for the fact that it's seemingly entirely based on a stage, which means it precludes anybody. This thing could go big, if not for the fact that it's sitting on a stage in physical space. Oh my God, the number of people that would subscribe to this so that they could be a participant in this on Twitch would be, would be amazing. Yeah, interactive, truly interactive, and the story will go wherever the audience wants to take it, and they're capable of doing it. 20 Sider Tavern is run by Curious Hedgehog, a group made up of David Carpenter, Sarah Davis Reynolds, uh, and David Andrew Laws. It's made a partnership with stage production group Showpath Entertainment and D&D publisher Wizards of the Coast. Previous one-off versions of the show have been staged in Chicago, Pittsburgh, New York, and Edinburgh. There's that Ed Edinburgh. Yeah, I, I love the idea of this. Looking at the stage, the production value is great. I'm sure that it's very expensive to do this, um, but wow. If this could just be scaled back a little bit, have all of that same, the data, it looks like the characters have their own like character sheet and stuff right here. Um, I don't know who is over here. I don't know who is over here. It's weird. This looks like a bar actually, like a, like an inn or something like this kind of a setting. A tavern. A tavern. Maybe yeah. like the, um, like the name 20 sided, tavern. 20 sided yes. tavern. <laughs> I was trying to find the name. <laughs> Dumbass mayor. 
<laughs> yeah. So this looks like the tavern, and, and this is probably the three uh, actual characters, and then the fourth is the audience. But why would they? It just seems like it could be so much bigger than this. But yeah, but if, if you, you get a stage production in New York City, I mean, that could really take off. But I agree. Like, if it was online. If it was fun and entertaining, thousands of people would show up as opposed to, I don't know what the size of this audience is. But maybe they're making, and there's a whole, uh, you can find out the show at, at its website, the20sidedtavern.com. And it says previews apparently begin on April 19th before the official launch on May 5th. There's more over at this article. You can check out the pictures, follow the links and whatnot. Go through hometown and I'm going to keep on going. Let's keep hustling through this. Uh, the next article is over in technology today. Revolutionary artificial intelligence platform allows anyone to create a duplicate of themselves and earn money from chats. How do you feel about that? Well, I think there's some people we don't want duplicates of. Um, but I guess I don't know, like, what makes this different than other social media platforms? Um, for instance, you don't have to have a person on there, right? You can have a representation. Yeah, so what's interesting about this is the article says... Humans can now create a virtual duplicate of themselves to give advice, chat about topics, and earn revenue. The article is over at apnews.com. Um, it doesn't have a byline, but it is a press release from apnews.com. Um, Today marks a monumental moment in the world of artificial intelligence as Mindroom AI launches its groundbreaking platform that enables users to create a duplicate of themselves and earn revenue through AI chat interactions. How the hell can you create a duplicate of yourself? No bot has your knowledge. And what kind of advice are they giving? Like, it'd be one thing if you set up a bot, but you didn't call it your name or something. But do you really want a bot with your name giving gibberish? And, uh, yeah, hallucinations or give factual advice that makes you liable because you're the one that created that bot. Mindroom AI users can train their AI bot to mimic their unique personality, speech patterns, and knowledge, allowing it to engage in authentic and meaningful conversations with real human users. Now, no way, no way in hell. It, it's going <laughs> to, it's so weird to say it. How in the hell can you get a, uh, an AI to act like you? You are you can't, unique. and how are you going to know if it's acting like you or not? Yeah, Mindroom bots can be trained with data from users' social media accounts, such as Reddit, Threads, Mastodon. Can be trained with other content, such as blog posts, social media archives, and platforms like X. You know, the website that's formerly known as Twitter that killed the entire ideology, the, the brand Twitter. You don't tweet anymore. You drop a what? I don't know. Anyway. News articles, uploaded files, questionnaires built into the platform. It's not you, though. It's just spewing out data. 
and it could be garbage data. And at some point it's going to go beyond what you are and what, if it's so narrow that it only says what you tell it to say, at some point it's going to just respond with, I don't have that data, you know? Uh, this just seems really weird to highlight how powerful mind room platform can be. There are demo models. Anyone can sign up and chat with for free. The models mimic historical figures and have been trained on documents written by these historical figures as if anybody's going to know how Benjamin Franklin, Frederick Douglass, Nikola Tesla, and Susan B. Anthony could respond to, Hey, I heard that you are a furry. Anyway, the platform is designed from the ground up to, to democratize the AI space. Such just bullshit. No, it's going to commercialize it. And then all of your inputs are going to be used to make the product better so that they can commercialize it even more. And now they have psychographics and demographics about you and they know everything about you. Why not just go to 23 and everybody knows me and then proxy your DNA over to them. And then, well, I mean, that's a faster way to get your data out. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Just punt that right on out there, folks. Too funny. You know, here's the problem, right? I mean, the AI is going to say something really outlandish fill in the ist right like racist sexist whatever and then what's it going to be cited as it's going to be cited as you saying that statement because it's not going to have the context that it was from mind room ai or whatever it's going to be like mayor watt said this yep that's right do me a favor reset your audio um So it says the platform is designed from the ground up to democratize the AI space, allowing anyone to easily create and monetize their own AI bot with the latest in AI tech to power their bots, such as ChatGPT, is it Cohere or Cohere? Cohere? Like, I think it wants to say coherent, but Cohere and Llama without the need for complex coding or technical expertise. Yeah. So if it's free or cheap, then you're the product. It is Cohere because although we only hear coherent, that is the correct word. Gotcha. So the uh, potential applications for Mindroom AI are vast and far reaching is what the press release says, whether it's streamlining customer service interactions, providing a personalized virtual uh, assistant, or simply engaging in entertaining and informative conversations. The platform offers endless possibilities for individuals to monetize their digital presence. So it's the only fans for AI. Right. But it's your own name or your own persona. Right. Hey, I just learned the other day that somebody made $57 million in only fans. If my the AI can do it, down. <laughs> how about I make a copy of myself and then it spins up in OnlyFans? Maybe that's what I should do. I should do create a, a an AI model that does OnlyFans, AI personality, AI model, and and spin up an OnlyFans that can fund Ometown. 
Man, I'm just <laughs> digging my own grave here. All right. Well, anyway, um, let me put that into the chat right after the Dungeons and Dragons live show. Talk about the one two punch there. Uh, today's next article, though, is over in Hometown Daily. Could AI personas attend your work meetings for you? One text Please. CEO says, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Please. Um, one tech CEO says yes. And by the end of the year, now I've actually used otter.ai before the CEO of otter believes AI avatars will attend meetings for workers by the end of the year. They could work for you by the end of the year. The tech CEO says the avatars will be able to act, talk and problem solve like specific workers specific workers not general workers. maybe better than some workers hey i'm asleep in my meetings so yeah uh digital work personas could save time and boost productivity though not without challenges i'm not sure how that does how that works aaron mock over at business insider put the article how together. do you want to be in a meeting though where you're not one of those you have to attend with those personas <laughs> they make it worse than a regular meeting <laughs> Man, it's like I'm talking to a bunch of bots. They all say in unison, yes. <laughs> right, like everybody else in the meeting is a bot. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like Real Genius where the guy keeps coming to class and more and more tape recorders are sitting there. And then eventually right. it's all tape recorders, including the professor. Oh, man. A prototype can be made working later this year, Liang told Business Insider, adding that Otter has already made progress toward that goal of AI-powered transcription software turning itself into an AI avatar that has the ability to you know, read and write, basically, um, and provide answers. Uh, once they have enough information, the avatars, in theory, will be able to speak uh, in the cadence of individual workers, participate in conversations, which nobody will actually allow in, in a workplace. Nobody. Um, and uh, answer questions based on the workers' unique perspectives, which is bullshit, because if you have the ability to enumerate your perspectives, then you're not even needed as a human being in, a, in an enterprise. Dear God, all of this is just so much. It's <laughs> it's almost like they're trying to usher in replacing humans with AI, like humans entirely. Do not apply. But <laughs> it expands it even more because humans need not apply. Actually, that video speaks to basically automation, but it it did not take into account AI that video needs to be updated dramatically like yesterday um man maybe i should do it i don't know production value is pretty high liang expects a uh, otter's ai work persona to be able to answer 90 percent of questions it asks but it's probably full of bullshit. um he said no he didn't say that part um he said 90 percent of questions it's asked during meetings i added them it's probably all bullshit. Uh, when it's stuck on the remaining 10%, the questions will be sent to a human worker with a note saying, Hey, I don't know the answer to this question. Can you help me? I'm totally drunk. No, that last part. It says, can you help me? And then ends as a question mark. 
Who's going to verify what information is being relayed? I mean, this is just, it's the same problems we were just discussing. You know who's going to be there? The office manager that doesn't have the authority to not just be replaced by an AI. So there's going to be some office manager that's taking notes of AIs that are talking to each other because all the rest of the people in the meeting are the supposed subject matter experts with the answers and, and the duties, you know? That's going to be some interesting meeting minutes. God, God. This bot one said so-and-so. Or this person's bot said this. This person's bot said that. Are employees going to be held accountable for their bots saying shit? Probably. I mean, to me, this could have a positive outcome. It might be the death of meetings. However, Liang believes the technology to create them already exists. Character.ai, he said, has created AI personality chatbots that can speak like high-profile figures such as Elon Musk. Meta's AI assistants are trained to replicate the personas of celebrities like Kendall Jenner and Tom Brady. Wow. Otter itself launched a new feature this month where multiple people can ask an AI chatbot specific questions about meetings it's recorded. Which... Sounds creepy. Liang sees um, this recent development as a step toward creating a fully operative AI avatar. Yeah, I would have no problem with this if it's... So I'm sure that it's specific questions about meetings that it's recorded for those specific people, not just random meetings. But it's all lumped into a pool where a security configuration gone wrong can probably allow somebody to access everybody else's meetings. Like oh the, no, then we have a whole other layer of problems. Like the wise or whatever it is, um, mm -hmm. cameras and misconfiguration. Cameras, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, you probably want to. You'd probably want to go by yourself, he said, in reference to. But when it comes to a one-on-one -on -one with a boss or an annual review, Liang would advise workers to think twice about getting their digital twin to appear. Can you imagine, like, it's like a performance review and you don't bother to show up and then the boss is like, well, I was going to give you a bonus, but no. <laughs> yeah, you're fired. Wild. Let's keep going. The next article is over in the Mobile Channel. South Korean scientists develop sustainable meaty rice. <laughs> Sounds gross. They need also marketing. <laughs> yeah. Somebody bring in marketing, please. Scientists in South Korea have developed a new type of sustainable hybrid food, a meaty rice, that's meaty, M-E-A-T-Y, meaty rice, that they say could help solve food crises and climate change. That didn't make it any better when you spelled it. Yeah. Cultured cow muscle and fat cells in rice grains to create a hybrid food. This is a fizz.org article. They don't have a byline in this. Huh. All right. Well, the new, nobody wants to accept. I'm assuming that it's from Yonsei University, but uh, the new grain was grown in a lab by researchers at Seoul's Yonsei University and is packed with beef muscle and fat cells. The result is a pink rice. Oh, God. That the team says could offer a cheaper and more environmentally sustainable meat alternative and leave a smaller carbon footprint. So it's meat. It's literally meat rice. It's not that it's rice, but it's meat rice. It's meat in the in the form of rice. 
Imagine obtaining all the nutrients we need from cell culture protein rice, said Park So Hyun, or he, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, Hyun, um, who co-authored the study. Rice already has a high nutrient level, but adding cells from livestock can further boost it. Um, why do I have people telling me that rice is actually bad? Mainly because of a high carb content. Um, and it is the bulking agent for a, a lot of people to gain a lot of weight. You consume a lot of rice. Um, huh. Interesting. I mean, everything in moderation, obviously, but so the grain well, was, I mean, there's a lot of stuff against white rice, but, um, right. other rices like, are generally favored. Like white rice is not nutrient dense, isn't it? I, I thought it was not. That's my understanding. Yeah. The grain was coated in fish gelatin to help beef cells latch onto the rice and then left to culture in a Petri dish for up to 11 days. Culture, I guess, is code for ferment. The final product contained 8% more protein and 7% more fat than regular rice, the team said, and was more firm and brittle than natural grains. The latest creation left a significantly smaller carbon footprint since the production method eliminates the need to raise and farm animals which consume a lot of resources and yeah so I, I totally buy into that farming animals consumes a lot of resources and water and releases a lot of greenhouse gas as park said so yeah totally buy into that that's fine for every 100 grams or 3.5 ounces of protein produced hybrid rice is estimated to release under 6.27 kilograms of carbon dioxide while beef production releases eight times more according to the press release and it the, the footprint is massive for beef production, um, you know, raising the cattle and letting it graze and then processing it and all of that. Right. And you also have other effects. Like we've been seeing some information about nitrogen, I believe. Yep. Next to farms. Yep. Yeah, there, and, and where it all cascades to and settles and stuff like that. It, yeah. It's getting interesting, right? We're becoming more and more aware of how our, anthropogenic uh impacts on the environment are actually taking place uh, the invisible hand of humans and not the economic invisible hand so the team plans to further development the process before the rice goes on the market i should certainly hope so now you'll see a world of possibilities for this grain-based hybrid food yeah even space food. I mean, I think say. it's good for nutrition purposes, but it's interesting because I don't know that it's going to appeal to rice consumers. Right. And I don't know that it's going to assume um, appeal to meat consumers. So I'm kind of like, what's the, the target audience of this? And people who have to eat whatever is given to them. Oops. Let's go on to the next article. Uh, the next article is over in uh, technology today. Could many nuclear stations plug South Africa's power gaps? Uh, South African nuclear scientists want to build a new generation of mini nuclear reactors, both to plug holes in their country's blackout plagued grid and to build an export industry for the future. Um, I'm a big proponent of mini nuclear power stations, uh, mainly because I want... <laughs> I don't want centralized power from one source leading to the ability to extort value 
because there is no competition for power generation. All uh, California used to have rolling blackouts that allowed for Enron to perform really unethical stuff. They actually caused the blackouts by telling power generation companies to uh, bring offline certain reactors so that are certain power generation systems so that the rates would increase and surge pricing would come into play. And they were actually, uh, several people were criminally charged. I actually don't know how many people ultimately went to jail, but it was a real piece of shit situation in California. Um, now we talk about South Africa's uh, power grid, which um, I'm not sure of the ins and outs of it, but um, I know of South African streamers who have to contend with rolling blackouts for sometimes days at a time. Hours you usually are the 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 what do you want the the daily recipe is or maybe every other day is rolling blackouts. Um, right, and that suggests that something is wrong with that power grid, right, or the. Right um operation of it yeah why does that take place well one company has designed a gas cooled small modular reactor that says it can be installed within three years on a site smaller than a football field and safely produce enough power for a city when they say city though cities scale so who knows how big that actually is maybe they'll talk about it later in the article um by the way it looks like 21 people went to jail for um enron Oh, good. Hey, it might have been higher because people, of course, testified against other people. Sir. Right, right, right. So they turn state's evidence and bow out. So much for greed. Anyway, um, so similar projects are underway in other countries as the world confronts the challenge of powering a future economy of electrified transport, heating data centers while slashing carbon emissions. Europe is divided on the way forward. Some countries led by France are betting on nuclear. I agree. I think nuclear is probably the best option as long as we keep on evolving it and dealing with the nuclear. The, the bad part of nuclear is the waste. So research is showing that we can reduce that waste. Others like Germany are hoping on renewables like wind and solar, which I say are not defensible and an area that might be at some point bound for conflict but any place is bound for conflict as we found here in the states all it takes is a bunch of dipshits to run around and shoot bullets into power grid substations and you get blackouts for days on end while people point fingers at each other how did this happen i still don't think we know how those stations that i'm talking about all across the u.s were actually shot at and nobody's been held accountable no, they don't seem to have much information on those. Yeah. So uh, this article, by the way, let me throw it into chat. can be reached by going through hometown. Um, it's over at techexplore.com. And again, I, I, I don't have a byline. Is, is it me? Did I miss something? No, I just don't see one at all in here. Yeah, that's weird. So, um, they mentioned rolling blackouts quote i believe the future is not only 
around the corner. I believe the future has arrived. Kem told AFP in an interview in his garden in the Pretoria suburbs. Kelvin Kem is a nuclear physicist and chief executive of Pretoria-based private outfit Stratec Global. I think South Africa is uniquely placed to take the lead in developing fourth generation reactors. Um, I think that it would be great nuclear reactors in a place um, where it is demonstrably in need of uh, a contiguous power generation source. Stuff these in various locations, solidifying the grid. Then you don't have to worry about um, all kinds of stuff. I mean, from air conditioning to uh, electrifying the grid so that you can have electric vehicles with reliability. Um, power everywhere they refer to this thing as load shedding up to 12 hours a day um, but domestic power uh, often peaks at more than 32,000 megawatts per day and south africans face rolling blackouts because of that they only generate i think 27 right it was commissioned 40 years ago their power plant and has a capacity of just under 2,000 megawatts, a small chunk of the 27,000 megawatts that South Africa's much derided state electricity from ESCOM can deliver. Um, and it's all carbon intensive coal fired plants. So they Great. have a bunch so of Right, so basically regularly they go above the capacity. Correct, yeah. And so you end up with uh, rolling blackouts, uh, only they only deserve this amount of time, you know, to live off of power. I mean, it's, it's weird to hear that in a modern city, um, in the 21st century. So, I agree. I mean, you'd think that first of all, we wouldn't be operating off of decades old technology but we know it takes a long time to put infrastructure or upgrade infrastructure right um but this just doesn't make sense this is not in a rural area right it's in a highly developed country as far as i know yeah and and in a highly developed city and mm -hmm. and still there's rolling blackouts across the country yeah just, I thought it was interesting that they showed the interview of the person from presumably a nice home. Like, I think it was kind of juxtaposing that. <laughs> Almost like, pay attention. yeah, let's draw attention to this, right? Uh, large plants like Coburg with its two French designed pressure water reactors must be situated by the ocean to allow for 80 tons of cold water a second to be pumped in to cool its reactors. And as long as the water block doesn't break, there isn't going to be any containment leakage, but there's also capture basins and stuff like that. that stop it from exiting the facility. Um, and there's little, I, I hate to say it, you know, like this, because then I'll have to eat my words when some dipshit actually causes a breach, but there's zero chance. There's little to no chance of a containment breach. As long as something catastrophic doesn't take place like a well, massive exactly. earthquake and also i mean the things we've seen with other power sources where they have been breached they're typically through lack of protection on them right whether it's solar or unguarded regular electrical or whatever it is i mean this is not going to be as accessible to the average person trying to 
to do something nefarious. Right. right. Yep, I agree. And past nuclear incidents have been around um, facilities that don't have containment systems in place, like a massive concrete shield that's surrounding a massive concrete shield that is holding the actual reactor um, so that if anything does breach, it's contained within a containment unit already, and then that's contained within another containment shield. So, you know, um, the, um, the reactor in Ukraine um, that had its meltdown. Chernobyl? Yeah, so Chernobyl um, was that was it had zero bioprotection so when it blew its top from a steam explosion all of that nuclear material was launched into the atmosphere and its surrounds and then the the meltdown actually led down into the sub basements um and is still radioactive to this day and will be for a considerable amount of time but if it would have had its shielding a containment system which they issued didn't be cheap and then the one that's outside of it had the cement concrete structure in place there would be zero breach and then you could just fill the damn thing up. actually the problem right now is that it needs to have air circulating through it to cool it um, otherwise, it becomes even more radioactive. It still it gives off even more heat, and that like exudes out into the atmosphere. So that won't happen with these modern reactors because there's so much protections in place. Um, it's well, just I'd a shame. I'd also like to see this succeed and then serve as a model for elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Although it is a long time frame until they can get this in place based on my article, but I feel like there's this terror associated with nuclear power and if a country like South Africa could turn their um, electricity problems around it might uh, accelerate the move toward nuclear in other locations Uh, so did you see the actual time frame I didn't see the time yeah I think it said 2033 oh okay yeah I mean it is a time away but it's right in the middle here Oh, got it. Okay. In December, the government announced plans that it planned to bring the first of a new series of nuclear plants on stream by 2033, adding another 25. But these are the conventional ones. I don't think that these are the micro. Oh, I see. I thought that was okay. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It it doesn't directly say these new. It just says a series of new nuclear plants, but not necessarily these micro ones, these little mini nuclear stations. Um, but I agree that it should be mini and, um, that way they can, (laughs) they cover the area they're supposed to. And if one shuts down, they don't all just keep on cascading and maybe they can lower, um, the amount of power in one region to augment the others and basically have a distributed power grid. Yeah. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in technology day today as well uh, this is why we're actually spinning up a new show called technology today because we have so much content and we'll be able to do a deeper dive into nothing but the, the higher end of technology um, deeper conversation it'll still be 10 articles but they will be a slightly different level of uh, technological discussion 
Um, and another show that we're going to be starting next weekend is going to be called Wanted, which is all about gadgets. Um, we'll be augmenting our aggregation uh, with additional sources as well. So um, this article is over in Technology Today. Marine biologists discover unexpected biodiversity on the ocean floor. Quote, we should be extremely careful with potential future deep sea mining as these unique species carry high extinction risk, which is a real bummer considering we're always talking about doing deep sea mining and there's even talk about doing dredging on the ocean floor to acquire resources. Um, Royal Netherlands Institute for Sea Research is the source of this over at SciTech Daily. Um, right under this caption, they have this little... I don't know what this little thing is. It looks like like a like a bottle funnel plant kind of a thing. I, I'm I don't know really. It's what a it is. manganese nodule. Is that what that is? That can't be. No way. That's not all of this stuff might be. So the article says here under the caption of this picture, it's quite fascinating, right? It looks like it's a starfish with something on it, like it's just walking across the seafloor. Scientists have uncovered unexpected biodiversity in deep sea environments, particularly around hydrothermal vents and manganese nodules. These might be manganese nodules. I see. It's something that's um, facilitated because of the manganese nodules. Yeah. Through detailed collection and DNA analysis of marine species, the findings indicated um, indicating isolated and unique species as well as potential reproductive habitats within nodules underscores the uh, ecological importance of these areas. Marine ecologist Sabine Gullner stresses the need for caution in considering deep sea mining given the high extinction risk of these unique species. Um, and yes, what we're looking at is a field of manganese nodules on the seafloor, but they don't explain what the hell that thing is right there. That would be nice to see that it's a whatever. I'm going to click a jellyfish or whatever it is. See, doesn't it look like it's a starfish that's on its way home to give its spouse a bouquet of flowers? <laughs> it does. Maybe it's uh, a starfish celebrating Valentine's Day. There you go. It's a starfish Valentine. Oh, wow. Hmm. So um, they say isolated animals for PhD research. Diaz, Rocio, Lorenzo looked at the copepods or copepods uh, that she collected at the hydrothermal vents in Lou Basin on the border of the Australian and the Pacific plate near the island of Tonga. Using large underwater robots, she collected a number of these tiny shrimp-like animals that dominate these habitats, habitats. The samples were collected from different locations within one basin and through DNA analysis, she then showed that the different populations lived rather isolated from each other with little interaction between the populations from basins further away. She collected specimens that looked the same, but they could be considered different species based on composition of their DNA. So um, in various locations, they lived on these nodules. She found that in these nodules, typically 10 to 15 individuals, but sometimes even more than 200 individuals of nematodes, copepods, and other animals can be found. Many of them appeared specific to the nodules because they were not found in the samples of the sediments that were collected around these nodules. Oh, this smacks of the, hey, you can't build this road here because there is a, a, a chicken wolf moose pig that crosses here once every <laughs> 25 years. 
Um, but again, you have to respect this biodiversity because you have no idea what the benefit to humanity would be until you find out that they're all wiped out and the last one just died early enough that you caught it after it died and you do an autopsy on it and you find out that it has the cure for stupidity oops too late well that explains why nobody got it in time because it didn't cure the stupidity that led to that that's right all you had to do was lick it i'm dumb okay let's go on to the next one this next article is over in hometown daily california plans to build 1200 tiny homes for the homeless here's what they look like i'm gonna jump right on into this article because uh, i saw a little bit of this picture and i'm like this is better than my first apartment um katie belovic over at businessinsider.com put this article together and uh, i'll just tell you uh, i had two apartments uh, before I actually got one that had some sort of quality control or at least safety in terms of mental health. One place I stayed at, there was somebody that would wield a, a katana, a, a sword, and swing it around while I'm trying to sleep. Um, that was very relaxing, I'm sure. <laughs> and the other one, when the when the rain came, the walls would sweat. Um, yeah, that one was a rough one. So something considered tiny for some can be huge for others. And to me, that's huge. This is the interior of a housing unit from the plug-in house company. Um, yeah, that's looks supposed like to be a tiny home. It looks pretty spacious. Right. I, but we don't know where the kitchen is in, in coordinate, uh, like in position to this. It's on top of the bed or something. <laughs> yeah, really. You fold up the bed and there's the hot plate. Um but yeah, this actually looks pretty roomy. It, to me, it looks like a, a a very nice college dorm room. Um, or, I mean, it's bigger than a dorm room. This, anyway, let's just talk about it. Um, what we see in this picture, though, is what looks like a square unit um, with uh, an angled roof. And in the back of this picture is a bathroom that looks quite spacious, um, bigger than uh, my first house bathroom in the in the master uh, suite. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Anyway, so let's keep on going through this. Something considered tiny for some can be huge for others. Um, Governor Gavin Newsom committed $1 billion in March to address the state's homelessness crisis with tiny homes in Los Angeles, Sacramento, San Diego, and San Jose. They'd actually been giving money to homeowners to add tiny homes to their properties. Um, That's right. And I thought that that was really bad. I think that they should have gone this route. And I said it back then and look in what they did. They actually listened to Mayor Watt. Um, I doubt that they actually heard me, but hey, whatever. Um, so Newsom promises 1,200 tiny homes. They, I think that they should all be 3D printed and they should stay there. Um, and a community should be built that shows solidarity around uh, the unhoused and giving them a place to live, teaching them skills that they can apply and then go and move on. Um, 
and have people there that actually care about these people and not treat it like it's just a nine to five gig and they don't really care about the people. Um, many look more like homes than typical shelters. Uh, the only thing that actually throws this, uh, so this is, it says two tiny homes from the plug-in house company, but I don't know if these are in place or if these are going to be put in place somewhere. Um, but it, to me, it's weird and like, it's like a little deck, but it looks like it's on a giant pallet. So does yeah, it have... I wonder if that's for easy installation or transport or something. Yeah. Six vendors are delivering, uh, tiny homes. They, uh, this looks like a duplex, but I think that they really should just be single units. I don't like the idea of duplexes. Um, because people want peace and quiet and one person on one side of the wall could be a complete dipshit. Um, so we took the opportunity to show our buildings uh, are delivered as stacked up panels that can be assembled in a couple hours using only one tool and with unskilled labor. Um, Shen added uh, that they hired formerly unhoused residents to help build the homes, which I think is great. Uh, but teach them skills. Don't don't call them unskilled laborers. Teach them skills so that they can actually move forward and do this work um, elsewhere. Um, so the tiny homes have, uh, requirements like electricity windows and a locking door with a peephole. They also must have a thermostat with heating and cooling abilities. According to state contracts, the home must be at least seven feet across at its shortest distance. This looks longer than seven feet across. So they come in different models. That one looks really tiny, but I mean. You know, if it has yeah, everything Yeah, but think about need, the, the alternative, right? Yeah. It's getting somebody off of the street. All of it need it. All of it needs all of it, though. Uh, you can't sit there and have community food, community showers, community bathrooms. Everybody needs to have that level of respect given to them and not given to them out of the kindness of somebody's heart, but because you're a human being, you deserve that level of respect and privacy. Um, so it says some contractors offer on-site services. Um, Pallet builds shelter villages with on-site service like laundry. That's fine if it doesn't have laundry. A lot of apartments don't have laundry. Um, oh, and that's the end of the article, but um, it says with pallet unhoused neighbors are on the path to uh, permanent housing according to the supplier's website i think it's great um i really want them to have everything though indoor plumbing water shower um like full-on city plumbing um kitchen you know with running water and everything uh electric service to uh cook etc but Hey, this is better than, and I hate to say it like that. This is better than nothing, but I th still think that this is, if this doesn't have all of it, then I think that it should strive to have all of it. Right. I mean, this is one part of the solution, but it's not the entire solution. Right. But it is a, a big piece of it. Particularly when you're talking about a billion dollars, these shouldn't cost 1200 units should cost should not cost 1 billion dollars. Okay. 
Okay, let's keep going. Oh, you know what I didn't do? Oh, I'm really sorry, folks. Let me throw this article into the chat so that you can take a gander at it. Uh, the next article, though, is over in Technology Today as well. A satellite designed to inspect space junk just made it to orbit. Astroscale's Address J spacecraft, a demonstration satellite that could perform or inform future space junk cleanup efforts, is now in orbit after a successful launch from New Zealand on Sunday. The satellite was sent up uh, to space atop the Electron rocket from Rocket Lab. Its mission, which was selected by Japan's space agency, JAXA, for phase one of the commercial removal of debris demonstration program, we'll see Address J rendezvous with old Japanese rocket upper stage that's been in orbit since 2009. That's neat. So look at that. Cheyenne McDonald. You know, we're seeing a lot of these interesting things where it's unbelievable that these can even encounter the right object or right. Right. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Now we're sending up something that can go and parlay with space junk and maybe eventually it can have little, uh, little rockets or something that can angle so that it can deorbit something in a controlled manner. And, uh, and frankly, I think we do, we need to deorbit this stuff, um, to clean up space so that we can actually enter space again and it not, you know, turn our ship into swiss cheese yeah that's going to be catastrophic if we have like a manned mission and then we're running into space junk i mean it could be a problem anyway even if it's unmanned but yeah i mean we have thousands of satellites in orbit around the united states around the united states around the planet um but address j is now in orbit ready to start its mission of rendezvousing with a aging piece of space debris and then observing it closely to determine whether it can be deorbited in the future absolutely it should be able to deorbit in the future the accumulation of waste in earth's orbit from decades of spaceflight is an issue of growing concern and space agencies around the world are increasingly working to address it in many cases tapping private companies to develop potential solutions so uh, I think that this goes into something else, but um, yeah, I, I think that this is great. So this is the little gadget that's going up to sit there and take a gander. Yeah, boo, I see you. Pretty neat. That's um, very neat. And just like the AI said, I find it amazing that we're now sending up objects to go and look for debris that should be pulled out of space. Um, as long as it knows that it needs to deorbit itself and not become part of the problem. Um, I'm, I'm good with all of it. Well, it's better. It better pay attention to its assigned parking space. <laughs> like that one telecom, uh, satellite. That's like, um, I ran out of fuel. And so now I'm going to sit in this lower orbit causing a bigger problem <laughs> than my higher orbit. And then just get fined. That's the only thing they can do. It's not like they can send something up to go and pull it down. Right, exactly. Astro, Astro Scales, or sorry, yeah, it's Astro Scales Address J will attempt to rendezvous with a defunct Japanese H-2A rocket upper stage and then inform as to its ability to deorbit. 
how do you think they'll do that? You know, they just stand on a really high mountain and and flick a fishing line up there and grab it and pull it down. Uh, no, I was thinking more orbit? like um, a lasso or something. There you go. Which I guess is similar. Yeah, lasso the moon kind of a thing. Pretty neat. Okay, well, that's it for tonight. Um, let's get back into the party bus and drive back down hometown's main street. Hi, should I click that? Should I click that? Do it. I'll do it. Uh-oh. So, I was trying to preview it. <laughs> oh, no. I really... Oh, good. Oh, no, no. Nothing good can come of this. But, hey, you know what? If you become a citizen of hometown, you can hide all of this stuff that you don't want to see and move on from it. And let's say you want to save something. You can move it the other way or this way. It doesn't really matter. It's up to you once you become a citizen. But it's all a hot mess in the news but we filter through it all of the news none of the noise if you're not interested in something um, you can sign up and then um, hide it at any rate i'm Marwat. that is hometown.com that powers all of our shows and up there is the visualizer for the sentient ai that's gonna say later doritos i don't know <laughs> later hometown doritos <laughs> uh Good night. We will see you tomorrow for another episode of Hometown Daily. However, stay tuned for an episode of the Continuity Report. That's right. See you in about mm, 15-20 minutes. I gotta reset. Bye-bye. Mmm, Doritos. By the way, no relationship. See ya. Bye.